We are continuing this series called The Summer Travels with Jesus. And part of it is just like when we do our summer travels, we take summer vacations, and it's always fun to stop and see new things. Maybe they're familiar things, things we've seen before, or they just may be brand new things, whether it's a flat tire, so we have to see this now, this gas station, or maybe a destination. And as we see new things, we discover new things, we may discover new things about our own selves. And so in this series that Pastor Bill and I have looked at, we want to discover not just new things about Jesus, but ourselves as we go through these uh, series of new lessons as such. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. You know, over time, I've had the opportunity to review many, many job resumes as people apply for different church positions. It's fun, like even Staff Parish has to go through this. But it's always an eye-opener to see what's just beyond the job application, beyond what's on paper, and discover the actual motivation of why a person is applying for a particular position, whether it's a youth director, an administrative assistant, or even a discipleship minister. Did you know you can really learn a lot by looking at someone's Facebook page? Maybe sometimes more than you really want to know. But getting down to the real reason why an applicant wants position, that's my primary request, even before I consider whether a person can actually do the job or even meet the job requirements. In this passage we heard uh, of Jesus, he appointed 70 disciples for a mission. And I know some translations say 72. And what's the difference? I say the more the merrier. <laughs> but what prompted, what prompted these first missionaries to say yes without a question? Three letters. D-T-R. D-T-R. Some of you may recognize what these letters stand for. How many people know what D-T-R stands for? Good, I got you. Especially for a young man in a relationship, these letters can strike holy fear into his heart. Single guys dread the DTR talk. It makes them so uncomfortable that they will only use the initials DTR. Their objective is to postpone, run away, put the DTR off as long as possible. In fact, many guys are so afraid of the DTR, they terminate a relationship, PDQ, which stands for pretty darn quick, when they sense that DTR talk is imminent. DTR stands for define the relationship. Mm, dating guys, you know what that's all about. That's the official talk. The official talk of what takes place in some point in a romantic relationship to determine that level of commitment. It's breaking boundaries, your own personal boundaries. You define the relationship and decide where things stand. Is it casual or is it committed? There comes a point in time when it's important to define the relationship and to see if things have moved past infatuation or admiration and are moving towards a deeper devotion and commitment. How you feel about that DTR talk is determined by how committed you are to that relationship. If the relationship is one of convenience that you just eh, want to be casual about on a weekend thing or a weekend fling, then you feel uncomfortable. 
you feel anxious. Your mind will be flying with excuses, and you may even have a fight-or-flight response. But that was not the case for these 70 or 72. They were totally on board, and they were appointed by Jesus, and they were sent with prayer. And not just to any place, it's to the places that even Jesus himself would go. So there's a sense of assurance on that. 70, by the way, is a number of completion, and it speaks of the universality, if you will, of the mission of Jesus for all nations, all nations to receive the gospel. And yes, this task was both awesome and difficult, but Jesus always equips the saints for ministry as they go with a singleness of purpose and trust in God. And this mission is not for the elite. You don't have to be a professional. It's not an exclusive club, a private fraternity, or even a social clique. The bold and the beautiful, they're welcome, but it's the humble and the homely who will be in charge. Last week, Pastor Bill, in his sermon, put out three questions. I'll go over them one at a time. But his first question was, what am I unwilling to give up for Christ? What am I unwilling to give up for Christ? You know, jostling for power or position is counterproductive and will not be tolerated. Feeling not as important or not as useful is an especially insidious lie. Oh, I can't do that. There's only one entrance fee, and it's the same for all of us. And everyone has the same exact ability to pay. It's quite simply your all, your DTR. It's breaking your own, not someone else's, but breaking your own boundaries. And once you give your all, prepare to be transformed. You will be renewed. You'll be set free, forgiven, adopted, and blessed. And then you'll be sent into danger with nothing except this transformed self and a new companion, Jesus. Sent into possible rejection, possible pain, Impossible situations where you will love and work and maybe have your heart broken and your work discarded. Once you are transformed, you are sent. No other options or alternatives are there. No cushy desk jobs, no lazy, lazy feet up reading some trashy novel, no lounging around in a big comfy couch with Netflix videos and endless bowls of popcorn and soda. Nope, none of that. Once you go through that DTR, you are transformed, and you begin to find out what it really means to be alive, fully, completely, wholly alive. The things you have gained in this transformation are not things that will make your life necessarily nice and easy and comfy, but these are to be tools to be used in hard, rewarding work of eternal value. This mission is for everyone, for all of us. And I really believe that the church at the beginning of the 21st century, we've forgotten this. No, the mission is for the missionaries, not for ordinary people like me. Oh, this should be the pastor's job. And besides, we think, what can I do anyway? Enter Jesus. And here's the short version of that lesson. After the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go, dot, 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 the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. Pop quiz time. We weren't, you weren't expecting this. 
Can anyone name any of the 70 of these disciples? Come on, someone surely knows their names. These are people sent by Jesus himself. They walked with him. They felt his touch. They heard his commission, and they were sent by him. And guess what? It all worked. And surely these people's names should have been lifted up and exalted someplace because this was the first Jesus movement. Remember the Jesus movement of the 70s? Yeah. And we're still going through therapy of that. No. We don't know their names. And all we know is that there were 70 of them, or 72. And Jesus sent them in pairs to announce the kingdom of God. And that tells us something really important. The mission is for everyone. And anyone who affirms their DTR and breaks their own boundaries, you don't have to be one of these official 12 or even the inner circle of the three. That's Peter, James, and John. If Jesus has transformed you, then he has also sent you. So, what's your part in this grand mission of God? That's the great big question for what we call the Great Commission. So let me just touch on some of these so-called marching orders. The first one is this, pray for more hands. The rest of this passage are the instructions for the sent ones. And since you and I are part of the sent ones, these instructions apply to us as well. The first instruction is to pray. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And there are a number of things to note in this prayer. First, the harvest is there, and it's ready. And second is the fact that these workers had nothing to do with this. They weren't in charge. They don't even own the field. They didn't sow the seeds or water or pull out the weeds. The harvest is ready because someone else is in charge. The Lord is in charge of the harvest. So when we are sent, we aren't in charge. And isn't that good news? You know, you, me, we've been in charge of so many things, and it can really be stressful. We know that. It's pretty stressful for me this week, no, this month, you know. <laughs> but it's good news still. And yeah, even though you may feel like you're responsible for the entire whole enchilada, it's all on your shoulders. The buck stops here. But the grand mission, the grand mission is of God. God is in charge. And that sets us free from control, from power, from pressure, and expectations of grand success. It's God's field. It's God's harvest. And it's God's responsibility. But it doesn't stop there, as if it doesn't matter what we do. It does matter a lot. He is Lord. But we've signed on to his kingdom. So we are his to direct, his to send. He gives us the tools we need and then sends us into the field to do what he tells us. And by the way, who do you think really prays this prayer for more laborers into his harvest? The second question that Pastor Bill put out to us last week was, I can't read my writing. <laughs> Actually, I'll get to that later because I can't read my writing. <laughs> Who do you think is praying this prayer? The people sitting on the edge, the spectators in the field doing nothing? Or maybe it's the people in the middle of it who are working hard and seeing how desperately needed are the hands to work the fields, that we need more strong backs, more voices of encouragement, 
more basket carriers because they are seeing the good, ripe grain dying on the vine, rotting away, waiting for more hands to harvest. According to church tradition, June 29th last week was the date when the Apostle Paul was martyred in Rome. Last Saturday, many Christians around the world gathered to honor the legacy of those who, like Paul, had sacrificed their lives for the advancement of the gospel. Ministries like Open Doors or Voice of the Martyrs made an affirmative DTR and affirmed their first ever Day of the Christian Martyr. And they still seek more workers into the fields, especially where there is a high Christian persecution around the world. Instruction number one was pray for more hands. And number two is go. Now go. When we look for a second instruction, it's tempting to jump as we look at the passage into that sheep-wolves situation, that bit there. But then we're missing something critical. Jesus' second instruction is simply, go on your way. And just like the sending of the 12 disciples on the first missionary journey, Jesus simply sends them. He trusts them. He empowers them as his representatives, his ambassadors, his emissaries with his power and his message. They are followers of Jesus, not fans. And they go where he himself intended to go, where we want to go that we are followers and not fans of Jesus as well. And remember the context of last week's passage that Pastor Bill spoke. There are these same disciples who earlier were completely blowing it. They're missing the whole point. They're wanting to call down from heaven about fire and sulfur to burn up a town that wouldn't accept them. They're arguing about superiority. They haven't gotten it all figured out. They don't know about first love, about the various theologies of sanctification, if you will, and atonement, about the different strategies for incarnating the message of Jesus among all people. They haven't been to seminary. They haven't been to inductive Bible studies class, unless you go on Sunday mornings to the class on, in the lounge. Studies about apologetics or done spiritual gift surveys, none of that. In other words, they are just ordinary followers of Jesus just like you, just like me, just like people who heard Jesus speak, giving him all their all, and now they are sent to give it a try, learn as they go, stay resilient, and rely on the very simple and basic things that Jesus has told them. And I really believe that we've made things so complicated when it's really very simple. Jesus sends us we go and tell and show and Jesus has, what Jesus has done in us. And we invite people to be a part of the kingdom of God. But first, there's the instructions again. Pray for more hands. Go. And the third instruction. And just to speed it up because we're going to celebrate communion, let me sum up the rest of it with two words. Danger and dependence. You know, this lambs and wolves thing, all the specifics about what we were to take and not take, where to stay, really boil down to these two words, danger and dependence. The funny thing is that even in our church culture, we've modeled and taught the exact opposite, safety and personal independence. You know, when you think about what kind of a crazy person would send an innocent, defenseless, cute and cuddly little lamb 
into the middle of a pack of wolves. We wouldn't do that. We'd fire that person. We'd get someone else because we say to our kids, be safe, be protected. But Jesus says, see, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Isn't Jesus supposed to be that good shepherd that protects us? And that the shepherd is to keep the sheep away from the wolves? Is there something wrong with this picture? The reason is this, I believe. The importance, the importance of the mission outweighs the danger. 75 years ago, in planning the June 6, 1944 inversion of Normandy, or D-Day, Allied military leaders knew the casualties would be staggeringly high. But it was a cost they were willing to pay in order to establish an infantry stronghold in France. And days before the invasion, General Eisenhower was told by top strategists that paratrooper casualties could be as high as 75%. Nevertheless, he ordered the attack. Now, Jesus isn't callous about the value of lambs, of sheep. He's just far more acutely aware of how vital and how life and death is this mission. He sends these 70 ahead of him to announce that the kingdom of God is close and that the mission means life and death for eternity for those to whom the message is sent. And that same message is true for us today. Jesus' instructions are all about dependence. The sent ones are not to spend years preparing everything and then packing and repacking it all along. They are to go and just accept what is offered and to trust that God will care for them. To summarize, Jesus is sending us out into hostile, potentially fatal territory without any preparation. And fatal doesn't mean that we would actually lose our lives, although there are, that's happening in other places. But it means losing our status, losing our jobs, losing relationships, and they can be just as fatal to us personally. Danger and dependence. Why would anyone say yes? Again, think about that DTR and the breaking of boundaries. Pastor Bill, comes to mind now, asked the second question. What topic or issue consumes most of your discretionary time? Are we spending all our time thinking about what to pack, what to take, and not even thinking about the mission? That happens. Because the importance of the mission outweighs the danger. We read in the last half of the passage of what happens. The 70 go out, and as a result, people who were stuck were set free. People who were sick, who couldn't function or provide for their families or touch their loved ones, they were healed. People who are out of control, tortured by demons, lives more miserable than you and I can even imagine unless we've been there ourselves, were liberated. They were renewed and invited into the same kingdom of God. And that, my friends, is worth it. There is something about truly giving to others, truly serving them, truly seeing them transform and change that lifts us into new heights of joy that personal pleasures cannot even come close to. If you've experienced this, then you know what I'm talking about. There is no greater joy than the joy that comes from knowing that God has worked through you to make an eternal difference in the lives of someone else. 
Sometimes we have no clue of what we're doing. A few years ago, you may have heard and seen a movie or read the book, Tuesdays with Maury. Yes, Tuesdays with Maury. A few years later, the author also wrote another book, and it became a movie called Five People You'll Meet in Heaven. And it tells a story about a person who passed away who died and didn't realize how many lives he touched and changed. And the same thing with us. We may never know that, but it won't happen if we stay stuck in the pews. We need to be out inviting people and touching lives. So what's your part in this grand mission of God? I mentioned that earlier so that we can look at it one more time. There is absolutely no question when we study the New Testament that all who respond to Jesus are then sent. Embracing that positive define the relationship. Crossing the boundaries as we see of Jew to Gentile. Breaking cultural barriers. Samaritans, women, Greeks, Romans, homeless, immigrants. We are all to be Jesus' witnesses, Jesus' representatives, Jesus' hands and feet. And once we take the name of Jesus seriously, we are all those things. Some do harm to the reputation of Jesus by taking his name and then living contrary to the way Jesus commanded us to live. But that's another topic next week when I talk about the Samaritan. But what is your part, my part, our church's part in this grand mission for God? I can't answer that for you. I can't wrap up the sermon in a simple little bundle, cute little story, all neat and tidy. But actually engaging in this mission of Jesus gets messy. This is what a friend of mine wrote a book about. He called it Messy Christianity. It gets personal. It calls us to sacrifice, to breaking boundaries of whatever is holding us back. And it depends on each of us listening to God's call, individually, but also collectively, as a community, as a church, as a family, and then obeying. We each need to answer that question. What is your part in this mission of God? We need to wrestle with it, experiment with it, take risks with it, and above all, just go. Just try. Just get off the benches on the edges of the harvest field and dive into it. And maybe you'll end up carrying buckets or bringing water or cutting grain or threshing it out or something else. But you won't find that by standing on the edges and looking in. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us the marching orders to go. Help us not to be so complacent or ever so settled that I've done enough. There is much to be done. As little as we're able to do, it will be done because your will controls us and we gladly give our lives to you. Be with us, God, as we ponder what it means to be sent, what it means to define that relationship what it means to be truly alive and transformed. In your name we pray. Amen.